My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I coined the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out, and it's why some people end up following the crowd. But we're not like them. We're part of a new species that isn't afraid to do things differently. I call us FOMO sapiens. And this is the show where you'll meet people like us, phenomenal FOMO sapiens, to learn how they find the courage and the ideas to live exceptional lives. FOMO. FOMO. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, podcaster and author by night, and of course, FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Now we're rounding out the season, and as you know, I've been obsessed with this whole AI thing. Who isn't? I mean, it's totally insane that Basically, Sam Altman is on all the news channels. Everybody's talking about that. But, you know, that is a sideshow. There's a lot more important stuff happening. In fact, the EU just came on a regulated AI and a really landmark kind of regulation situation. Just made that up, but I like the way it sounds. What's far more important is to think about how technology is manipulating us. Because it does. It just does. We all know that, right? And so my guest today is going to talk about that. She has written a book called The Battle for Your Brain, and her name is Nita Farhani. Now, Nita is a leading scholar on the ethical, legal, and social implications of emerging technologies, and she's a professor of law and philosophy at Duke Law School. So she's great because she'll give us philosophy and ethics, but we'll also get practical. We got to get practical. Always got to be practical on this show. Now, speaking of practical, I have a small ask for you, and this one is just for you, which is think about how technology is manipulating you and then fight back every day, all day long. I think about it a lot. I mean, obviously, we talked about this on Monday's Faux Monday about how social media manipulates us and what the power of addiction that it sort of has. So just think about this stuff. Make some changes before the end of the year. That way you start 2024 free. All right, that is my small ask, and now we move on to the interview. As you know, I like to start every interview with the same question, so I started by asking Nita this. What's a formative decision you've had to make to get to where you are today? Well, I think probably it is ultimately going to law school. I, you know, even from my youngest years, was convinced I wanted to be a doctor, a medical doctor. Um, and you know, was pre-med in college, spent, um, most of, uh, my time, you know, sort of saying like, I would never go to law school. Uh, but ultimately over time, as I gravitated more and more toward the policy implications of science and technology, and I even went on med school interviews, by the way, but passed out when the med school students showed me the cadavers, um, I, you know, realized like, that's not the right path for me. I'm really passionate about science and technology, but not in practicing as a physician. And so super disappointed my parents at the time when I was in college and, you know, it was like, I'm going to take a few years off and figure this out. I'm going to go work in strategy consulting instead of going straight to med school. And then, you know, two years later, I was like, listen, mom, dad, I'm not going to med school. Uh, I've decided I want to go down this different path instead, which is, you know, go to law school and, and try to figure out a career at the intersection of law and science and technology. 
And you've done that, and you have a new book out. It's called The Battle for Your Brain, Defending the Right to Think Freely in the Age of Neurotechnology, which is a topic that is so FOMO sapiens. I love it because, <laughs> you know, everybody listening to the show, I mean, we've been talking about technology, obviously. We talk to entrepreneurs all the time. But we also talk about devices and, and how they manipulate us and just how the, the world of data does that. So I, I think it's what, what really got me excited when I heard about this book is that, you know, this is a, it's like the matrix, right? You, di- you don't see what's going on. And then when you do, you, number one, realize what's, that there's a, like, a lot of important things happening. And you can start to make better decisions about how you actually live your life and also get more aware and involved in how society is changing. But let's just start, you know, at the baseline, which is, you know, what, what was the, re- the reason behind you writing this book? What was the impetus? You know, I have forever been studying, you know, neurotechnology, advances in neuroscience, our understanding of humans in relation to their brains and mental experiences. Um, And I have written about it for a long time from an academic perspective. But over time, I came to believe that um, the interaction between rights and technology in our brains had this big open space of risk. And that big open space of risk is our brains and mental experiences can be changed by other people, um, can be accessed potentially by other people. And we really think of it as the place that is our own, like our last fortress of privacy. Um, I went to a, uh, a workshop at Wharton in 2018, having, you know, written about all of these different aspects of it, but never really thinking that something like brain sensors were going to go widespread in society. So I had these worries, but I, I just didn't see that happening. And when I was at Wharton, I saw a presentation by um, somebody who was at a company called Control Labs at the time. And it was very dramatic. He stood up and he held his hands up and he said, we are such clumsy output devices, we humans. We are limited uh, by these bodies and these clumsy like sledgehammer-like devices at the end of our arms, these hands. And what if we could unlock the potential of our brain and we could operate octopus-like tentacles directly from our brains or, you know, type just by thinking about doing so, swipe just by intending to do so. Why do we have to be so limited by these form factors? And he was talking about this not in the theoretical. He was showing a device that they were working on, which was in the form of basically a watch, which would pick up brain signals as they go from the brain down the arm to the wrist and pick up your intention to type or swipe or move. And he was showing what it means to type on a virtual keyboard just by thinking about doing so or to swipe just by intending to do so. And that moment was like a holy crap moment to me because what I saw was this idea of brain sensors being integrated, first of all, into everyday devices, like a watch. Um, Second, as not just a tool to track brain activity, like attention or fatigue levels, but actually to become the way we would interface with all of the rest of our technologies, which would mean it would become ubiquitous and universal. And at a time when everybody was worried about the way algorithms you know, from social media platforms were changing and affecting our brains when Facebook had launched a, you know, emotional contagion experiment to try to change uh, people's feeds to see if it would change their emotions. 
you know, so there was already this kind of mass manipulation of brains and mental experiences that were happening. The idea that a technology suddenly could become a universal technology to give access to our brains in this kind of closed loop matrix was startling to me. And I went home and I learned everything I could about it, was convinced Apple was going to buy it. A year later, Meta bought them. And um, suddenly the race to gain access to our brains much more directly and not just through the software that is reading our every move, our every digital trace, creating unique physiological and psychological profiles of us. Um, But like this final piece of the puzzle was going to be in the hands of major tech companies. I was like, okay, I need to one, write a book to help everybody understand what's happening in this space and to contextualize it for them. And two, talk about what the rights are that we need now to change the shape and the direction of the way in which all of these technologies are impacting, changing, manipulating our brains and mental experiences. Wow. I, okay. So <laughs> you just freaked me out. And I was just <laughs> thinking as you first, I had a lot of th- th- thoughts, but one thought is I was thinking about, I, I don't know if you saw everything everywhere all at once, but when mm-hmm. I saw that film, it's worth you seeing, it does sort of, um, it's about the multiverse and about it's 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 a fascinating look at where the future could go maybe and and some is science fiction but there are some elements that are real and that this whole conversation you know i think you can see where people are trying to take things and you can poo poo this stuff but like who was talking about generative ai 6 months ago to a year ago not many people i mean still it's right. still quite niche right so when we talk about this there's there are people that are working towards the goal, but in terms of like the timing and the sort of where we are today, what are the like as we as we navigate the world, what are the little hints that we can see that these things are being implemented into our world? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a spectrum, right? What mm. I talk a lot about in the book are neurotechnologies themselves as opposed to kind of every piece of the generative AI puzzle. But let's look at it because this concept that I'm proposing that we have this right to cognitive liberty is an update to liberty in the digital age. It's meant to address everything from AI to neurotechnologies to immersive technologies like artificial reality, so augmented reality and virtual reality, um, like kind of thinking broadly across those. So we could start with like generative AI. Pretty amazing that you can go to um, a, a place like ChatGPT and you know enter into a dialogue. That dialogue is intentionally made to sound human-like. Um, It is intentionally, uh, it was labeled and designed in order to make it so that um, a person interacting with ChatGPT would feel as if they were interacting with a human. Little choices like having the words typed out um, is the way a human would write uh, to make it seem as if you were interacting with a human, all of which are intentional design features to try to hack into your brain and mental experiences about how you would experience interacting with and therefore be more likely to trust and interact with whatever it is that is generated. Uh, and, and that's just like one tiny thing, right? I never thought about that before, but it is true. And, you know, it, 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 it's designed to, to, be, it's to be convincing more than it's designed to be correct. And that that's helps right. to do that. Yeah, and in fact, there were labelers who actually... <sighs> labeled the output as they were training it as, yes, this sounds human-like, not factually correct. Yes, Mm -hmm. like you get a plus for sounding more human-like rather than, you know, a plus for being technically or factually correct. It is designed to be human-like. 
you know, generative AI images are designed to convince you, um, especially deep fakes, right? They're designed to convince your brain that something has happened or something is true or something that is not true by presenting you with visual images where in the past you could trust your perception, but now you can't. Um, you know, things like uh, when notifications are timed on an app, they're clustered to try to give you a kind of burst of dopamine in your brain to bring you back as a reward to your brain time and again to a platform. And it's not every time it comes in. You get notifications when there's a sudden burst because of the effect on your brain. It's been tested and trained. Advertisements, many of them are tested against um, neuromarketing designs. That is people who go into a laboratory, put on a headset that measures their brainwave activity in response to advertisements to see how to optimize your engagement, attention, you know, uh, like automatic reactions and associations with an advertisement. And then advertisements are shaped and changed based on how your brain reacts. Now, you might think, okay, great, I'm getting more pleasure in my brain, but most of them are designed to overcome your critical thinking skills and to put you into a more like automaton mode. Having on Netflix a little bar that says next episode coming up and it fills up over time is almost like it's an inevitability. Your brain accepts like it's coming. You intended to watch one episode. You you ultimately end up watching four without having made any choices because you're in passive mode rather than active mode. And neurotechnology both enables each of these things by giving access to how your brain reacts or interacts. But once the way in which you're interacting with the rest of your technology is through neural interface technology, right? Headsets that have um, EEG sensors that are, you know, in the soft cups around your ears or in your um, earbuds that you use to do conference calls or listen to music are also picking up brain activity or watches that also have neural interface to enable you to interact. It's your intention. It, it becomes so seamless and natural that you like the technology becomes an extension of you. Um, and that to truly integrate technology into you, but to do so, like, here's a vivid picture. You're in something like the new Apple AR VR headset, and there are sensors that are reading your pupillary response um, to figure out your intention and reacting to it. In an environment where what you're seeing can be changed based on what sensors read. That really is like the matrix, right? It is like how your brain reacts to information changes the environment that you're interacting with in a closed loop as opposed to your natural and static environment. Like if I go outside, the trees are not going to change based on my brain activity. But if you're in AR and VR and it is changing based on your brain activity, it, it literally is just like this tiny little closed loop where most of the tech companies have been doing it in a way to maximize your engagement and attention with the platform and to minimize the likelihood you will ever go outside again and look at that tree that isn't going to change based on your brain activity. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. 
Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French, c'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. FOMO. What I find... Well, first of all, thank you for explaining that because I, I didn't see the, the through line, but now I can draw you a through line from the 1950s advertisements where celebrities were smoking and making it look glamorous right through to where you went at the end there. It's right. about external forces manipulating the way we think so that we lose our liberty and we are then just, you know, being, we're doing things to serve other people. Now, what I'm- instrumented rather than autonomous. Yeah, which is, I mean, autonomy is like the base of everything. Now- I'm curious, just, uh, this is a little bit technical question, but as you're talking about this, it made me think about, and by the way, FOMO Sapiens is not usually like a super brain science-y show, but here we are today, thanks to you. That's all right. And listen, I mean, like for the FOMO Sapiens audience, there's like a deep dive we can do on this on the use of neurotechnology in the workplace and, Mm -hmm. you know, the ways in which it's shown up there. Like it, it affects every aspect of our lives. It may not be brain science as your usual focus, but this is as transformative of the technology for what it means to be human in every context as people have come to recognize generative AI is. See, that's why we have you here, Anita, because everybody's going to be following <laughs> you now. Now, I'm just, I, I, one thing that kind of, this is, this is more abstract, but, you know, I think about this, you know, we have our, our, our conscious mind and our subconscious mind. And it sounds like you could have scenarios where you're su- like, it's, you know, you have your subconscious and your conscious and they have their relationship. But like when you do something in the real world, if you decide to go out and drive a car or slap somebody in the face or kiss somebody or whatever, you know, you have to make some connections in order to make that happen. Here, the line between the two seems like it's far more blurry and you could end up revealing things in your subconscious and ha- letting that have a much bigger role in running the show than you would otherwise. Is that, is that play into it? Yeah, I think that's right. I think your automatic reactions to information being used as the basis for decision making Mm. about you or learning information about you or used to drive technology, Um, you know, if, if like your brain responds in pleasure to something like an advertisement and that leads to a whole much more advertisement being shown to you, That's what we're looking at here. We're looking at your automatic rather than like your conscious, deliberate choices governing your life experiences. Um, And, you know, most of these technologies and techniques are really designed to try to get past the thinking you and to get to the more automatic and reflexive parts of you Mm. um, so that you go into you know, automaton mode, if you've ever, you know, gotten in your car and ended up going the wrong direction, um, because you were on autopilot, uh, and then you're like, Oh wait, why am I over here? I, this isn't where I was intending to go at all. It's imagine living your life that way, right? Your entire existence on autopilot rather than, you know, the active engagement of thinking about where you're going. Think about how that how you feel about that when you're driving, which is you're like, no, no, I need to change the direction of the car and take control and go where it is that I'm going. We're losing that ability in our everyday lives to take control of the car and go where it is that we want to go. Instead, what's happening is we're entering autopilot mode. These technologies are designed to put us in many instances into autopilot mode. Um, and that's not a good thing. That's not the only way it has to be right. You could use neurotechnology 
as a way to both see that you're in autopilot mode and then use the insights that you gain from neurotechnology to empower you and to make choices. It depends on how we design the technologies now and the choices we make now about whether or not we want to put us back in the you know driver's seat or if we want to live a life where it's just autopilot. Yeah, and I got to imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not that there is some committee of elders like Bilderberg or whatever. It's all silly conspiracy stuff, but that is sitting around the table saying, how can we rob people of their cognitive liberty? But rather, this is companies and people (laughs) who are from the bottom up building technologies without a lot of controls over them. And then one day we realized like kind of the way social media was like, oh my goodness, like we have built things that are hurting us. Patrick, it's worse worse than that. Um, So, I mean, a lot of companies are intentionally, you know, they're, they're not like, how do we rob you of being in the driver's seat? Instead, it's how do we get people to, you know, spend more time on our platforms and then using insights from neuroscience that are like, oh, if we give them little dopamine hits in the following way and structure it in the following way, it will lead them to spend more time automatically addicted on the site or, you know, in infinite scroll mode. And, you know, they have people who are coming in and running workshops and people that they're hiring for their expertise in doing exactly that, which is maximize attention and engagement by hacking into the cognitive biases and heuristics of the human brain. It's very intentional in many of these cases um, Mm -hmm. where, you know, it's not like, and it's because we want to strip people of autonomy and, you know, leave them as automatons. The intention is to maximize the bottom line and to be able to have more of your attention to sell to advertisers for, you know, improving, um, you know, their products in in that way that is maximizing revenue. But the maximizing revenue model right now in many instances is built on trying to make you an automaton. There's one way in which they want you to be slightly less of an automaton, right, which is okay. addict you to a platform, get you with an advertisement, but at some point you have to push the button that says buy that product, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But if you can get somebody into a mode where it's like, understand exactly, you know, what it is that your preferences and desires are, give it to you at the moment that you are most likely to buy. Like if you're scrolling at 2 a.m., you are more likely to automatically push the button and buy than you are if it's showing it to you at 8.30 a.m., right? And so it's understanding how the brain works and when you're the most likely to be susceptible to these types of advertising techniques and then using that information about you to, you know, put you into that more reflexive mode rather than the critical thinking mode. FOMO. FOMO. So knowing all of this, obviously we've talked about the problem. Let's talk about how we can fight back. Because it is a battle. It's a battle for your consciousness and your wallet and everything else. So paint a picture of the things that we can start doing and also the things that need to happen. So I'd say like there is a battle that has been waged already on our brains, Mm -hmm. but most people who are like just the average consumer, like they're sort of like lying down on the battlefield. They're not actually Mm -hmm. like they haven't stood up and taken up arms to be like, wait a minute, I'm going to defend my own brain and mental experiences, right? So, I mean, the battle that's being waged is for your attention, for your, um, you know, access to your data, to be able to create a very precise dossier about you and to try to put you into a position where you're acting aligned with the best interest of the corporations or governments rather than in your own self-directed kind of way. So, 
you know, I think we need to address this battle on multiple fronts. One is, I think we need to change the default rules to favor individuals. And we can start with a human rights framework that gives people a right to cognitive liberty, which is a right to self-determination of their brain and mental experiences. That means updating three existing human rights, the right to privacy to explicitly include a right to mental privacy, freedom of thought, already an international human right to expand our interpretation and understanding of it from what has traditionally been about religion and belief to also include a right against interception, manipulation, and punishment of thoughts, and self-determination, which has been long understood as a political or collective right to also be an individual right, self-determination. Human rights is critical both for uh, to have a legal, uh, legally enforceable right, but also for the global norms that it would create, but it's not enough. We also need national legislation in specific contexts that would enable people to, um, you know, cultivate and have a right to cognitive liberty, whether that's in the workplace or in other settings. It means trying to align incentives in society so that um, corporations are incentivized to try to improve brain health and wellness rather than diminish and addict people. It means putting it into commercial design of products, giving people user-level control over, um, you know, when brain sensors, for example, are used and when they aren't, um, you know, rules and uh, kind of rights for individuals around data and data collection so that um, it's used in ways that are beneficial rather than harmful to individuals. And most importantly, I think, you know, for the individual, like listening to this podcast, it's cultivating cognitive liberty in our own lives, which means introspection, mental agility, and relational intelligence. And those three pieces are kind of the core to how you develop self-determination and the capacity for really critical thinking skills. So introspection is the ability to look inward, to like know how are things affecting you. And you you can't, like unless you start to actually listen to yourself and develop those skills, whether it's through mindfulness or meditation, just taking a break to actually look inward, it's very difficult to understand the impact of your life on you. Mental agility means you have to develop both resilience and critical thinking skills, meaning the world is changing and coming at us really fast. And to adapt, you have to be able to strengthen the skills of resilience and critical thinking, right? If we're looking at a whole bunch of images and we can't trust what we see anymore, you can't take a single instance of an image that you see or text and assume it to be true anymore. You have to start to exercise much stronger critical thinking skills to not be manipulated in that way. And then relational intelligence is an understanding that like we don't live on an island. Um, a lot of the technologies we're interacting with don't have empathy to cultivate and to continue to develop the empathetic skills and the interrelationships we have with other people are really core to what it means to be human. So I think a lot of the kind of things that we need to the tools, the techniques that we need to truly exercise cognitive liberty are going to be something that we need to much more actively cultivate, whether it's in educational settings, in our children, in employees, and in our everyday lives. All right, everybody. If you want to find out more about Nita's work, you can go to her website. It is nitafarahani.com. And there you can find her on all the socials. If you want to learn about this topic and get smart on it, read this book. It is a really fascinating read. And it is also, it's just going to blow your mind a little bit. The book is called The Battle for Your Brain, Defending the Right to Think Freely in the Age of Neurotechnology. Nita Farahani, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. 
If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis, and editing and post-production is by Josh Elstro. If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at FOMOSapiens.com and at PatrickMcGinnis.com. To advertise on FOMO Sapiens, reach out to contact at FOMOSapiens.com. FOMO.